Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revelle. Yes, thanks for joining us for another week as we uh, get set for Speedway Classics to be out in news agencies very soon. And then we'll be welcoming back, hopefully not too far away, for Dennis Newland. He can tell you all about what's in the new magazine. We're looking at Speedway first up and in the Extra Liga, uh, Lesno have made it. They're the first through to the finals of the Extra Liga, which then leaves Sparta and, um, well, Stella Grosso as the final two to uh, look for a spot. So hopefully for Max Frick and Ty Wolfenden and the team, Sparta can do well. But Lesno, the first team into the playoffs in the Extra League. So in the World Championships, of course, the Speedway World Championships, they're off to Turin for two nights to conclude the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Speedway year is wrapped up. We've had some fantastic uh, results so far in 2020 in this very, very um, compressed and compacted season. And uh, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, the Marquetta Stadium was uh, fantastic. But Bartos Smarzlik has consolidated his position at the top of the World Championship. Ty Wolfen and Jason Doyle getting podiums is a a great result as well for, well, the Australian and English rider. But we look forward to seeing how the, uh, well, the championship wraps up at uh, Turin and uh, hopefully we can bring you an interview with the world champion in the coming weeks. Now, Valvoline Raceway have announced this week that whilst restrictions are easing, they expect racing would not commence until restrictions are reduced, which is estimating won't be until January 2021. So we look forward to Valvoline Raceway getting back up and running, and hopefully it can be, well, soon into January. So the management... There at Valvoline Raceway, just updating the fans. But one thing that NASCAR did this week, which was very interesting, is they announced that the Cup cars will be headed to Bristol and it will be on dirt. So I know a lot of people have been wondering what would it be like to see these modern cars on the dirt And we're going to get a chance to find out next year as NASCAR have released a very ambitious, well, an ambitious uh, calendar for 2021. For the record, NASCAR on dirt. The most successful driver is Lee Petty with 42 wins. Buck Baker with 40, along with Herb Thomas. Thomas Flock has 36. Ned Jarrett has 33 wins. The King is sixth in that tally with 30 wins on the dirt. It's going to be great 
to see what Bristol will come up with when they start their engines on the dirt once more. Here's some of the announcement that Bristol was able to make. We are thrilled to have everyone here with us today. As you guys know, Bristol Motor Speedway has hosted many historic events over the years. And we will be adding to that resume in our 60th anniversary year uh, in 2021. Bristol Motor Speedway will transform into a state-of-the-art dirt racing facility for the Food City NASCAR Cup Series race on March the 28th, 2021. The event will mark the first time in the modern era that NASCAR's Cup Series has competed on dirt. The last time the Cup Series competed on dirt was in Raleigh, North Carolina in 1970, and that race was won by Richard Petty. It will be the third time, however, that Bristol Motor Speedway has crossed over to a dirt facility. As the track converted to host World of Outlaw races in 2000 and 2001. The team here at Bristol Motor Speedway has proven in the past that we know how to transform Bristol Motor Speedway into one of the most pristine facilities anywhere around. So we can't wait to see how the stars of the NASCAR Cup Series take to the dirt in the world's fastest dirt half mile. To our guest this week, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to this man, it is Stuart Telfer. Now, some of you might know who Stuart Telfer is, but he was been in and around motorsport for many, many years. He has uh, been the manager at Parramatta City Raceway. For the last 17 years, he's been the manager of the Variety Bash. We'll find out about that, his time in America, and, uh, well, a few of the big names in Australian Speedway that he had the chance to meet along the way. It's great to have Stuart Telfer on the show. And I hope you enjoy this chat we had with him. Inside Speedway is available on sportsradio.com.au, iTunes, Spotify, and the dirttrackchannel.com. Well, joining us on Inside Speedway today is a man that, well, I've known him for years and it's probably the tallest man I can remember meeting as a young kid. <laughs> Stuart Telfer joining us. So, uh, well, when did you first get involved in motorsport? Because you talk to a lot of people like myself, well, we were dragged there from the moment we were uh, uh, in, on the earth. But if you don't come from a racing family, what got you to the racetrack the first time? Uh, well, hello, Craig, and hello to your, your listeners. Uh, uh, good question. I, I guess. Um, a mate and I from high school started going to Westmead Speedway on a Sunday afternoon on and off. We didn't go every week. We just would catch the train from uh, Dundas Station down the Clyde, Clyde out to Westmead and um, walk across and that was how we got there and how we got home. And, um, uh, so that's that's how I started going to the Speedway as a school kid way back when. Then when did it become more than just a thing to do on Sunday afternoon? When did you get roped into it being more than just, a, <laughs> uh, you know, something to do? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I would put it down to uh, I lived in Rydalmere and at the bottom of our street was a, a service station that had closed down while they built the overhead railway line at Rydalmere, the, the, the road ray, overhead road. And uh, when it opened up again, I went down, saw the owner and tried to get a job, you know, 
uh, after school and uh, he was kind of an old bloke and he had me handing out brochures in, in the letterboxes and then one day I went down to get my brochures and there was another bloke there uh, working on the weekend with lawnmowers. A bloke called Sid Hopping had moved in and, and without going too much into it, he not long after took over uh, the lease of the garage and, uh, and I, I got a job. I got a job there on Saturdays uh, washing car windows, washing shop windows and for $2 so a day. And I, I thought I was king, you know, and he had this car that uh, he modified that he'd bought from Clive Sevenoaks. And, and then one day uh, I go down there and he's, he's got uh, this boost of a thing that he'd bought from Blair Shepherd that was Marshall Sargent's car. And, and I'd never seen tyres as big as you know. Today they're almost like a front, front, inside front on a sprint car. But in those days they were massive, big things. Well, compared to a road car and or a super modified in those early days. And uh, I was hooked. And uh, I joined the crew. I was allowed to join the crew. I got my white overalls with Hopping's Mobile Service Station on the back, and and away we went. And uh, I'm not a mechanical person. Never have been, Craig. And my my uh, top job was to paint in gold leaf Goodyear and Firestone on the tyres and help wash it of a, during the week. That was about my sum total of in, uh, involvement. Tyres pop up a few times in your story too, uh, I might add. But what was it about white overalls in the 60s and in Speedway? You know, could there be a worse colour for a mechanic to wear? <laughs> You're probably right there. But I guess it was the start of crew uniforms uh, and and I can remember having our photo taken on the infield at Westmead and uh, and how good we looked in in um, in our white overalls. Sid was in his silver suit that had been given to him by Jim Pfeiffer um, and uh, who was had Pan Pacific speed equipment and uh, it was, you know, like uh, revolutionary. It was a drag racing suit. It was this silvery suit. It wasn't a, you know, nice henchman or anything like that. Um, and there was three of us in our white overalls and and I, I was a bit of the organiser. Even early days, I liked to organise things and I was organising the photo and I wanted the, the engine to be, which was exposed, just had a piece of, you know, metal over the top sort of thing. And, uh, but you could see the right through it and see the motor and just as they were about to take the photo, uh, one of Sid's uh, helpers, a guy called Sid Arges, great bloke, beautiful bloke, he jumped in the van. I better jump in in this. And I thought, no, you haven't got white overalls. Oh, no, <laughs> you, you sat in front of the motor. <laughs> so that was my big disappointment of that photo. He's, uh, I've still got the photo. He's, a, he's great. <laughs> you uh, So uh, the white overalls, that, yeah, that was the, the go in those days. And, and I, I was sort of. On and off, I was there most weekends, and and in um, Mother's Day 1965, uh, I wasn't allowed to go because it was Mother's Day, and unfortunately, that was the day Jeff Freeman was killed, and uh, and from that weekend, I never missed another speedway meeting basically in my life. Um, uh, up until the last couple of years, I was there every weekend, sometimes two times a weekend, whatever, whatever. Mm. Now, 1965, you're still in high school. And yep. you pick crewing for Sid Hopping. You yep. finally get to the uh, Sydney Royale. Yeah. Um, 
one of one of the pit crew guys, Mick Dalton, he was a mechanic at Sid's Garage. He said, "Do you want to go to the showground?" Well, I had to almost, you know, like get royal permission from mum and dad to go out on a Saturday night with a mechanic in, in an FJ Ute all the way to the Sydney showground. And we went, and I just, uh, I was awestruck. They, uh, uh, there, I got to see these two blokes walk out onto the track with cars pushed out, and there were two Americans, Bob Tattleson and Sherman Cleveland. That was my first night at the Sydney showground, 1966. And it was the opening of the their season, the Yank season, and I didn't understand it all. And uh, I just remember they had an interview. I loved the accent. And uh, and then Tattersall got in his car and they pushed him off and he just bubbled around, boob, boob, boob sort of stuff and for a lap and then stood on it. And I've gone, I'm going to go to this meeting, this race track for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was just the most amazing sound that I'd ever heard. So. That was my introduction to Bob Tattlesall and Sherman Cleveland. Mm. How different was the showground for you on a Saturday night under lights compared to Westmead on a Sunday afternoon? Is it chalk and cheese, the experience? Oh, well, the, the, of course it is. Uh, uh, Westmead sometimes was uh, dusty and it was a big, big track. It was a bit, you know, the half-mile track was bigger than the showground track, but the showground was obviously big as well, but a lot narrower. But the the lights, the you know, the ribbon of light uh, around the track and over the over the cars and all the chrome shining and and the noise reverberating off all the grandstands, it just it was just something different, just something else. You'd get into a crash crew, pit crew to crash crews. Not not a common transition, I would have thought. Uh, well, um, the, what what had basically happened there is uh, Sid's garage was a melting pot for people. Uh, people came from all over the place. Other speed car crews, the Ray Oram crew used to come, and um, and we'd Friday nights when it was you know only um, racing on the weekend or Saturdays and stuff. You know, we went to Parramatta Bowl and we. We went bowling uh, with Sid and the Orem crew and other blokes. You know, we had, we had all these different people coming to see the Beast. And, and it, oh, let me give it its name, the Beast. I remember how quite clearly there's people sometimes give credit for somebody else calling it the Beast. But um, Sid asked me, could I help go with him one, one day? He was, um, had to take the car to Parramatta for a show at Coles. It was going in the Coles. They, they had not supermarkets in those days. They were sort of like a David Jones and a Myers and all that sort of stuff. They had everything. And uh, that was going into Coles for a week on show and, and it had been painted brown and um, had all the signage on it and everything like that. And we unloaded off a, a rickety old trailer in the side street and pushed it in the shop and the manager uh, got a the ticket writer. In those days, shops had what they called ticket writers to write signs for, you know, special on this and special on that. And he got her to come over and r write a ticket to say, this is Sid Hopping's super modified races at, you know, Westmeath, stuff like that and what sort of a car it was. And she goes, what a beast. <laughs> and that's how it got its name right there. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, that's a fabulous name. So they wrote the beast on the, she wrote the beast in yellow uh, paint on on the, the cowling of the radiator, and that's how it got its name. Mm. But, uh, so there's all these people used to come to the to the garage, and 
Um, Bob Blacklaw was one. Uh, he was there quite often. He raced go-karts and there was a guy that loosed a section off the garage or sit at the back. Uh, he was an upholsterer and, and he raced go-karts. And so we got to know people and, you know, they would take me to the speedway and um, and Bob was got on the crash crew and they used his ute as the ute running around the track sort of thing. And um, and then the vacancy came and, bingo, do you want to go? And there I was. Uh, that's how I got on the crash crew, which was a great experience. I had a great time on the crash crew. We, we made a lot of friends and, um, you know, just a great time, camaraderie. And uh, there'd be the races and, and then there'd be, you know, the, the barbecues out in Driver Avenue afterwards and just story after story. Not enough time to go into all those stories, Craig. And probably some of the people that are still alive, so you can't actually tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's moratorium on stories. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, interestingly enough, I was always told about how Stu Telfer worked for Goodyear. He was over in Akron. He had this amazing American experience. And it seems like <laughs> someone in my family might have been gilding the lily. Um, I wonder if that was your dad. <laughs> or was it gilding the tyres, which you said you were doing earlier? <laughs> well, uh, there was a, there is a tyre story. In 1973, uh, I went to America with 96 of my closest mates for the 1973 Indianapolis 500. And one of those guys was uh, Barry Blacklaw, who was uh, Bob Blacklaw's uncle, younger than Bob, though. It's a funny story. Um, he, we were great mates and crash crew guys together, and uh, so off the off to America we go on the Bill Evans tour, and it was just fantastic, just excellent it was, and we had such a good time. We decided not to come home, so we forfeited our tickets uh, and stayed there. And uh, I, I, you, you got into you know we we started going to West Capital Speedway, and we loved that, so we'll go on there every week. Um, and but I I wanted to do more. You you heard about all these different stories of the indie cars and the crews, and they're always looking for workers. So I got on a Greyhound bus and it took me three and a half days to get back to Indianapolis. And uh, I went to a motel that I'd stayed at with the the tour, which was next to a bar called the Red uh, the Grapes the the Grapesteak Bar or something like that. And the guy in the the bar remembered us because we had such a great time. And he said, what are you doing back here? And I said, well, I, I, I've come to try and get a job. He said, but it's the end of the season. I said, yep, I know that, but I want to get in early. I don't want to somebody say, you should have been here yesterday. Yeah, We had a job you could have had. So he rings up a mate of his. Uh, a guy, I remember his name. His name's Charlie Prophet. And he turns up. He, he came out to the bar and, uh, and said, what's all this about? And I told him, and he says, we're doing a tyre test right now down at the at Indy, you know, like this is the Indy track. So he said, jump in, off we go down the track and, and you know, there's all these top drivers tyre testing. Um, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Long story short, he says, uh, we've got a job. We're always looking for tyre fitters because uh, nobody wants to travel away from home and stuff. I said, mate, I'm, I'm away from home. I'm ready to travel. So he said, in January, uh, we'll get you down to uh, – California and was and so California uh, was uh, California 500 was one of the early races in the year 
and um, went went down there in January to do a, a tire test. And uh, I, I just I had two weeks of the best time with the AJ Foyt, Gary Bettenhaus, and Rutherford, Vukovic, you know, Ansa. Uh, anybody that drove was top top shelf driver for Goodyear was there to tire test, and I had a, an amazing experience. Uh, AJ uh, turned 40 and he was just, he's one of the boys. He's just one of the boys. And uh, for his 40th birthday, we were in his room playing cards on his bed. And I'll, I'll just never forget it. It was, uh, you know, like there's this nobody from Australia playing cards with AJ Boyd. I let him win. <laughs> of course you did. But over the 18 months, so what you were, what, travelling with Goodyear? Oh, well, yeah, sorry. Um, Unfortunately, uh, you have to have a green card, and they tried to get a green card for me, but it was got knocked back. So I was only I got paid for two weeks, made a bundle of money, and compared to what I was used to, and um, had to go back to Sacramento. And of course, you're not allowed to work in America without a green card. So, uh, so they say. I, Some of us yeah. might know different. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyhow. Uh, I, I caught up with your dad. Uh, I went back, I flew back for the, the 74 Indy 500 and catch up with the tour guys coming back again. And we had a great week and uh, for, for Indy. And then after the race, uh, uh, your father, um, George Tatnell, and Gus McClure's mechanic, they were staying to do some other bits and pieces. And they said I could hang with them for a, a few days and we traveled around and uh, went to some other races, different places, and uh, the stories galore. You go on for hours, the little side stories, but they're only boring ones, really. Yeah, fair enough. But you weren't a mechanic, and you weren't mechanically minded, from what you've said, or I'm paraphrasing. No. You've gone through high school. Did you go on because? We're going to talk about you getting into sales and getting into uh, those sorts of things. Managing. Did you have any formal training? in that type of work or is everything you've learnt, you've learnt on the fly? Uh, a bit of everything there. I, I left school and became an apprentice. I was an apprentice printer at the government printing office in Sydney and uh, for four and a bit years. Um, but I was a die, I was a hand and machine compositor. Um, I won't bore you with what that does, but it was a dying trade and, uh, and Barry Blacklaw did exactly the same thing. Uh, he, he, he was the same. And uh, our biggest customer ever was Gary Rush. We did his receipt books and business cards and invoice sheets uh, for his uh, uh, workshop at Auburn. And uh, he gave me five bucks off a wheel along it one day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he was our biggest customer we had. <laughs> so our mutual job didn't work. Anyhow, we uh, we went, like I said, we went to America. I came back after 18 months and he, he unfortunately, well, unfortunately he lived there, but unfortunately passed away there last year. Mm, that's Barry um, Blackwater, so, of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So when I did come home, I came home with one American dollar to my name and uh, I didn't want to go back to printing. So uh, we'd been mates with Jack Pirate. Uh, before we went away and we used to have fun together and, and knock around a bit. So uh, I rang up Jack and said he had a Caldex garage at Taramara and I rang him up and said, Jack, I've just got home. Could you give me a job for a couple of weeks, you know, so I can work out what I want to do? And he said, yeah, yeah. 
So I went up to uh, Jackson. I ended up working there for three and a half years. I, I called myself the sales manager of the, the petrol pumps because uh, I was the Bowser boy. Because in those days, you went out and pumped up tyres, washed windscreens and checked oil. And I had a bit of a knack of you know, having a yarn to everybody and building up a rapport with a lot of the customers. And, you know, you, you would look for things. Uh, the radiator was dirty. It needs a flush. It needs an oil change. You know, so it was just a talking sort of thing. And uh, I left there and uh, went into uh, a job with uh, Chubb Lock and Safe Company. I, I, I needed to move on. You know, I, I couldn't be a Bowser boy for the rest of my life. And, um, so I moved on and uh, uh, I was a, you know, then I just was in selling. I got into selling. Somebody said I'd make a good salesman. And uh, Yvonne Benny said to me after a barbecue at Liverpool one night, you should be in sales. You'd be a good salesman. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll be a salesman. And uh, that's what I did. Uh, just did different things, sold papered napkins to chub lock and safe. But the, the sample bag for the safe company was too heavy to carry the safes around, so I got out of that. <laughs> but just did a whole bunch of different things, and some were management jobs, some were just sales jobs. Uh, um, yeah, so that's how I got into sales. Well, little did I realise that you had a racing career. <laughs> and it sounds like it was pretty much like mine. <laughs> well, I was very lucky. Uh, when I was uh, in America, uh, the Americans had come out to race here and Jack Porrett had bought an Offenhauser. And uh, it was a gorgeous car, the Glendonay Offy out of San, San Jose. Beautiful car. And Jack won a lot of races in it. Was in, I came back, Liverpool's now Asheville. And and the racing was spectacular, and and um, Jack had had a couple of crashes, and he sort of gave himself a bit of a knock around. And Bob Blacklaw, he, he was driving modifieds now and going really well with them. And uh, he, uh, Sid said, "You can, uh, Jack. I'm, uh, I mean, sorry. Uh, said you, Bob. You can you can drive it in the uh, the A grade races, and yeah, Stuart, you can you can have a run in the B grade races." So I quickly got a henchman suit made. I had bought a Bell helmet, full face, they were brand new, and had it painted up by the in Sacramento by the guys that painted Evil Knievel's Sky Cycle, and it looked the flashiest helmet I've ever seen in my life. And and uh, uh, look, I looked fantastic when I stepped into that uh, Offenhauser on a fr- Saturday night under the lights at Liverpool. I looked really good, and I had a great reputation of working my way through the traffic. They'd start me on front row and I'd work my way backwards. So I gave a lot of blokes a lot of pleasure of passing an Offenhauser. So I never won a race, and uh, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Just driving it and the starting it was such a, a thrill. I can understand why blokes just give up everything to be able to race their cars. Mm. Even today, it's the same thing, you know, uh, starting them and feeling it. and it's You're in a different world altogether once you that green flag drops, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I never saw a checkered one first. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a lot like my racing career too. Um, you said you had a great time down in Canberra one time. Oh, yeah. we uh, Canberra, we used to go down there for uh, – there were a couple of times we went down there for Sunday afternoon shows and and I, I, I you'd get more runs down there. At Liverpool, I'd, I'd get to warm up the car do some a little bit of hot lapping, warm up the car, a couple of hot laps, 
and just just my one race and Bob raced the heats and the the feature race and um, but down at down at Canberra I, there was a couple of hoots for the B graders you know to pad the program and do all that sort of stuff and and it was Asheville as well wholly totally different to Liverpool it was a lot flatter than what Liverpool was well basically flat and uh, I remember I'm in a heat race with the stars you know like there was enough races to you know I was in with the the go the go guys and I'm going around I'm thinking I'm on fire here nobody's going to beat me today and I'm going hell for leather and uh, the Volkswagens had now come into into business as well and Jack at the same time was building his Volkswagen and uh, so I'm down the back straight and I'm into turn three and into turn four down the main straight Next thing, whoosh, Rush goes. Gary Rush flies past me on the inside. I got a chill out of it. went so fast. And simultaneously, your father goes around the outside of me. It must have looked fantastic. The spectators see three cars wide for a millisecond. Uh, but uh, that was fun. I remember that. It's, that's, uh, as I talk about it, I go, I'm shivering now because uh, it's, it's coming back to me how much fun it was. I only wish I was, any, I was half good or something. So what, what ended the flourishing motor racing career? Um, the the uh, end of the season, really, the, uh, finished the, and um, Jack sold the car. It, it went to Queensland and uh, he raced his Volkswagen. So I, 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 unfortunately, uh, one of, probably one of the reasons that did get sold was uh, I think it was a Sunday afternoon show. I'm pretty sure it was a Sunday afternoon show, and in my heat, I'd started front, I uh, took off, I got past, and a couple of laps in, I got, I got, I drove back into the lead, and I got too excited coming out of turn two. I stood on it too early and spun it, and and uh, you know there's about 12, 14 cars in the B grade races in those days, maybe even more, and they all missed me. Set the last car coming at me, and I'm sideways across the track, and. And it was Billy Jackson, Skip Jackson's dad. And he's a great mate. He was a lovely bloke, Billy Jackson. And he's T-boned me. He hit me. And both our eyes were dinner-sized plates. <laughs> I could see his eyes were wide open and mine were wide open as well. And he T-boned us. And, um, and for the next few weeks, the car was a bit, you know, like tricky. There was some breaking, things broke on it and stuff like that that we didn't pick up. And, um and then uh, it, it was uh, it was black fifteen in those days. Uh, uh, Jack had the Volkswagen yellow seventy nine. This was painted black, answered uh, answered airlines colours, and uh, it was fantastic. But uh, he said, "No, this is unlucky." So he, he painted it yellow again, made it eighty, and we only ran it once, uh, and then it was gone. Mm. Now, how did you almost become? The manager of Adelaide Speedway. <laughs> uh, you've done some research. Um, I was in a selling job. I was uh, manager of uh, a roller door company out at Eunora. And uh, David Lander, who, who had uh, been a uh, car dealer and whatever, uh, he rang me and said, I'm taking over the lease at Adelaide Speedway and you're going to go down there and run it for me. I go, oh, hello, David. Uh, so long story short, we 
go down, we fly down to Adelaide, we uh, have a meeting with the RDA. Uh, they, they're a great group, the RDA, but they have trouble running their own speedways because they're all members and if you're a member, you don't pay to go to the speedway. So the cheapest thing was, you know, in the world was to pay you 20 bucks a year to be a member of the RDA and go to the speedway. So uh, David said, well, nobody's getting a free ticket and everybody's going to pay. Yeah, David, well, look, we want the speedway to go ahead. You're in charge. And, uh, and we, we came, came back to Sydney and Gary Rush rang him up who had uh, just taken over the Parramatta Speedway, which David wanted, but Gary had, uh, uh, had got the deal done. And Gary said to David, oh, you don't want to go to, um, you don't want to, go to uh, South Australia. I'll sell you half of Parramatta. Uh, and David said, well, Stuart's uh, going to be my manager. And he goes, yeah, no worries. And so that was the start. And, and I was there for 10 years, track manager, Parramatta City Raceway. But you got into the commentary box as well. Uh, well, I've been in the commentary box uh, from basically when Parramatta started. Uh, the very first meeting, I, I sat up on the hill and watched it uh, and, and loved it and thought it was great. Um, and, uh, and I said to Sid, because albeit I wasn't on his crew for the last few years, uh, I'd said to him, uh, mate, is there anything, I don't like sitting up on the hill, is there anything I can do? So he, he said, oh, I, I need a clerk of the course. So he made me clerk of the course, which I was for a few weeks, but it was a job that I hated. You know, like it was, uh, they'd. It, it got the fender benders, which were totally different to the fender benders as they improved. But they got he got this group of guys from Berkshire Park, and they raced in shorts and t-shirts and and thongs, and and I was a you know fire suit, you know helmet, you know racing shoes type <laughs> guy, uh, and um, um, uh, I said, oh, I can't do that, so. Uh, Alan Edworthy, we were mates. He was one of the Ray Oram pit crews. He used to come bowling with us. Uh, he was the commentator with Dave Booth. Dave Booth only sort of lasted one or two meetings there, I think, and he moved on. And uh, so I went up into the commentary box with uh, with Al to you know, help out, and and that was the start of that. So that was how the commentary part started. Mm. And then uh, Lance Wilson was a a guy I kind of knew. Um, not too well, but he was sort of doing stuff. And uh, we had a guy who was from Victoria who was doing the lights and the, the sound and, the, you know, the red and red and green lights and all that sort of stuff. He moved out. So I said to Lance, yeah, you want a job? And that's the three of us, how we started a, a long relationship together. Mm. What did you learn in that 10 years about Speedway, being inside, managing Parramatta as you did? Oh, that's a really tough question. That's a, it's a very good question. Probably I don't want to answer it. Uh, uh, what happens when you're on the promoter side, uh, all your mates that were competitors and, and not so much, not everybody are matey-matey, of course, uh, become they start to hate you because, you know, you're the promoter, you know, everything's your way. And, and certainly with David, wasn't, his way at all. You know, he, he wanted to improve the sport. That's all he wanted to do was improve the sport and make everybody go you know, like this is the place. He wanted people to come and see great racing and he put on great racing. We had great crowds. Um, uh, all, all, yeah, but I guess I loved it. I loved every moment of it, but I didn't like the 
um, the aggro sometimes that comes with it, comes with the role, but you had to cop that on the chin. And I'm still great mates with my great mates anyhow today. Yeah. Now, one thing that I, I knew you got involved in and I didn't quite understand the level of your involvement is the variety bash. And uh, that's something that I knew you were very passionate about it, but I, I didn't actually realise you were running the show. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, I started with David in uh, May 1989 and during that, uh, that winter season I saw this thing on TV called uh, Mud, Dust and Dirt or something like that and it was about this variety bash, variety club bash. And uh, here's all these old cars out on back roads of the outback sliding around through mud holes, blokes having a drink on the you know, party stops on the side of the road and just uh, just having a great time. And, and I thought, that's me. And I rang up a mate of mine who used to be a customer that we'd become good mates and used to go camping together with our kids. And uh, I said, Tony, I've just seen this thing on TV. You and I have got to do this. And so uh, on the Monday, he, he, he uh, he rang up and and started the ball rolling and and uh, we couldn't get on that year. There was too many cars. Uh, Sutton's Motors were a sponsor at the Speedway. They gave me a HR that uh, I'd hardly ever been used. You couldn't ha- open the back doors. It was they were so tight. It was so new type of thing. And um, we got it built up and we were ready to go the next year. And I did uh, uh, fourteen of those as an entrant. Uh, and um, and then the job became available, and I've been doing the job organising the Variety Bash, the Variety, the children's charity these days. They dropped the club about 20, 25 years ago. I uh, didn't want to be confused with a leagues club or a soccer club or something like that and poker machines. Uh, so they changed it to Variety, the children's charity, um, and this is our 17th year of organising uh, bashes and four-wheel drive events. What has that environment been like compared to a speedway environment? Um, in some ways, it's some ways it's uh, similar. In fact, when I went for the job initially, they said we don't think a basher can run the bash, and my argument was, well, I've been running speedway meetings for 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 ten years, and um, it's the same thing. You're invo- involved with entrants, which are competitors. And, you know, I had to do 36 of those a year. You're only asking me to do one event a year. Uh, and, um, and so that's how it worked. And I, I believed I could bring something to, to the bash that wasn't there, a bit more, you know, pizzazz, a bit more fun. It had sort of, as things had gone on, it, you know, like the, the, the rules and regulations had changed with, as everything does, you know, you know like, police rulings and, you know, councils and uh, country roads and all sorts of things that, you know, things were a lot easier way back then is what I'm trying to say. Things in Speedway were a lot easier way back then than what they are today. Um, So the difficulties were, you know, uh, similar to running a Speedway but uh, much more fun as well. Uh, Got a lot of great mates again from the bashing days and becoming coming more or less to the the end. I, I put in a retirement plan uh, in early uh, 
uh, end of February, early March this year, and the next week COVID started. But I was going to uh, organise this year's bash and next year's and finish at the end of next year's. Well, this year, all our motoring events, we had three uh, motoring events uh, at Variety. Uh, we have a Newcastle bash for a week. We had the big bash, what we call the big bash. That's 10 or 12 days. Or That's all over Australia where the New South Wales bash is within uh, in New South Wales. We do a four-wheel drive event that goes all over the place. Uh, well, all three events were put off uh, till next year. So um, I've I've offered to stay uh, another year to make sure we you know can do things and change over and get somebody. It's a very unusual job I have. It's it's, it's there's not a there's not a standard job description. Put it that way. <laughs> but I I can't imagine how much money. That you've been involved in raising for the charity. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, in 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 my um, ten uh, in my uh, ten year fourteen years as a as an entrant. Um, after my third year, basically from then on, was uh, for ten or twelve years was with. Uh, uh, Lance and Ollie, I had them in my car as well, and we we worked as a wonderful team. We had some great nights. We'd have rock and roll nights to raise our money, and and my wife my wife worked at a um, a liquor distribution company, and they used to go overseas on um, conferences, and and he started having swear jars where I got eight hundred dollars a a year out of there, and some money from the company. To the long story short, the swearing jar. Uh, melted into nothing or they swore a lot because the the last check I got from him was $140,000 for one year um, because they started getting right behind the charity and doing different things and auctions and raffles and and donations from suppliers. So that was really good. But I think pretty close to just over half a million dollars in that 14 years we raised ourselves and, um, and since taking over the job, well, we're you know like um, we're close to like uh, um, uh, eighteen million, I think, seventeen or eighteen million. <laughs> Remarkable, a fantastic effort. Yeah. Um, I'm very proud of uh, the efforts. I'm very proud of the people that come bashing. Like the first couple of years, I honestly really didn't know what Variety was all about. I, we just raised the money, gave it to the Bash Directory, what he was called in those days, and and he looked after. I don't know who ran Variety. I don't. I was just went to work and went on the Bash for, you know, eight or ten days every year uh, until we helped a family. Uh, Lance Wilson's son's birthday party, I run into a family that had a kid in a wheelchair, and and uh, long story short, we they were trying to raise money for a, spe- a specific uh, uh, car seat that uh, slid out and so that and turned sideways so they could get him in, transfer him into a seat. It's fourteen-year-old boy and he travelled in a baby seat in the back seat because he had no no he was just jelly basically. And so uh, um, this seat made a huge difference, but it was they couldn't raise the eight and a half thousand dollars. I rang up uh, John John Flower was the bash director in those days, and I rang up John on the Monday morning and said. Mate, I don't know what you do with that money, but I've just ran into this and told him, he said, give me the details, and he made it happen, and it made a huge difference to this uh, little fella, Ryan. And uh, and a few years later, we bought him a special wheelchair 
it was the shape of a a bowl. He he couldn't sit up. He was mm-hmm. you know, so they shaped it was a special wheelchair made at Bathurst University and John came through and bought that as well. So uh, we were able to help and that made a huge difference. That invigorated us in our fundraising. We know now what we were doing. And in in the job too, we get to tell people and we get to see people. We get to help so many people. Variety looks after the kids that fall through the cracks. We don't look after one condition. We look over last year we uh we spent over four million dollars in donation in in uh, buying things. We impacted thirty nine thousand kids in New South Wales, and um, we looked after kids of more than two hundred different conditions. So it's a complex sort of job. It's not a one condition charity. Mm, yeah. Well, it's been fantastic, Stu, to catch up with you and to find out about how you haven't had much of a, an interesting life as you uh, said to me when I first asked to speak to you. (laughs) It's not been a bad one, and uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to you here today. Well, thank you, Craig. Uh, uh, It's funny talking about it. I don't really talk about it that much, but uh, uh, there's been bits and pieces that I've... I've, uh, I'm not a millionaire. Um, uh, You know, I just... uh, uh, have a great life and uh, my life's been good to me and I've, I hope I've been able to be good to different other people. So, all good. Stu, thanks very much for joining us here on Inside Speedway. Craig, thank you very much for the opportunity for to, to bore all your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> great to have Stu Telfer on the show with us. So we speak well. We're having a look at the world of outlaws. Of course, racing getting back underway in Australia as well. But the world of outlaws, well, their last race was at Lernerville. Well, it was another interesting night as uh, we see David Gravel, who took out the night with a uh, fantastic performance in that final when it was, well, six seconds behind the leader with two laps to go and he came through to take the victory. David Gravel in front of James McFadden and Darren Pittman. So Logan Schuart, Kerry Matson, rounding out the top five. That will lead us with the uh, point situation for the world of outlaws is Brad Sweet still leading the way. His gap to Logan Schuart, 40 points. Donnie Schatz is 98 points back with Sheldon Hortonchild, Carson Macedo rounding out the top five. Now, David Gravel, Darren Pittman are six and seven. Jacob Allen is eighth. And then it's Parker Price Miller ninth with Craig Kinzer rounding out the top 10 in this year's 2020 World of Outlaw Sprint Cars. That's it for another week here on Inside Speedway. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Stuart Telfer. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by... P1 Australia, and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.